morning, church. I'm so glad you've chosen to be at worship on this rainy, I mean, sunshining day in sunny Florida. What a great day to be gathered together. And haven't you loved this time of worship led by our friend Jody? Wow. Hey, take your copy of God's Word. We're going to be in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 7, as we wind down the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher to ever preach, Jesus Christ himself. But I want to begin with a question, and here's the question that really all of us eventually have to answer. Do you, do you know the rules? Do, do you know the rules? That's a question you would not have thought needed to be asked last Sunday in Las Vegas, Nevada. But apparently... One of the two teams in the Super Bowls was unclear about the rules. Did you see this? At the end of the game, and what a game. By the way, the Chiefs won. At the end of the game, uh, regulation had, had kind of come to a close, and it was a tie game. And so now we move to overtime rules. And what we discovered as we kind of journeyed along in the, the few minutes before the game ended is, is that the San Francisco 49ers, they didn't know the rules. And it could have been a real big problem. In fact, watch this. You go with the toss? Yeah. Which way do you want to kick it? They call it. They call it, right? Yeah, they call the coin flip. It's their coin flip, right? Which way do you want to kick it? We want the ball, Fred. San Francisco, you are still the visitors. What is your call? Tails again. He called tails again. It is tails. You want the ball? Which way do you want to kick? We're going to kick that way. San Francisco, we see first overtime. Good luck, gentlemen. They want it. They want the ball. They want it. Hey, they want it. They want it, baby. We want them to have the ball. Words you never want to have to say at the Super Bowl. I, I, I didn't know that. I mean, what in the world? I mean, they set themselves up for a very awkward situation simply because they didn't know the rules. Jesus is winding down this message. And he implies that at the end of time, there will be a lot of people who have not understood the rules. Let me let you hear it from his lips. Matthew 7, 22. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and, and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. Could, could that be true? Could it be that at the end of time there will be those who think they got everything right? only to find out they were completely wrong? I think, as a guy who does this a lot, 
I, I think this may be one of the most important messages I ever preach. And I, I think this is one of the most important passages in the Bible. And so because of that, I, I want us to pause once more and just ask God to give us clarity in this moment and to bring about his perfect will. So would you bow together with me? So Father, in the name of Jesus, we are gathered in your midst. And Jesus, we're about to read words that you spoke on a hillside almost 2,000 years ago. And yet we realize they have real impact in our lives. So sovereign king of the universe, give us what we need that we don't have. Teach us that which we've not yet learned and make us different, mold us, shape us, change us so that we might be more like you. God, this is so important. So would you protect my words and my thoughts? May they be from you. And Jesus, the, the words that we've just read imply that there will be even people here today that need to surrender control of their life to you. I don't know who they are. Holy Spirit, you do. Jesus, as we lift you up, would you draw them to you? And I thank you for this. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. As I mentioned, Jesus is nearing the end of this message. He's been describing what it looks like to live the Christ life. To walk the Jesus way. And, and he's done that over and over again. We started in chapter 5. This is the 14th message. And, and so Jesus began by saying, okay, if you want to be blessed, if you, if you want to have the blessed life, here are the characteristics of that. If you want to represent me well, you're salt and light, here's how you do that. If, if you want to live by my standard, I'm raising the standard. You've heard it said this. I'm telling you now there's a new sheriff. There's a new standard. These are the things you need to do. And he went on and on. He even taught us to pray. He taught us the importance of forgiving. He, he warned us about the danger of anger and of ungodly judgment in our life. And then he reminded us again to ask and ask and keep on asking and to seek and to seek and to keep on seeking and to knock and to knock and to keep on knocking. And now he's coming to the conclusion of it all and he's reminding us that his way, the Jesus way, is much more than just religion. It's a relationship that affects every aspect of our lives. Now, make no mistake, what we've gathered here to express is a religious expression. You can't really say Christianity's not religion. It's it's, it's kind of the leading religion in the world. And, and so there is a religious component to this. But Jesus was saying, as you practice your faith through this religious expression, understand it's the relationship that distinguishes what we do in the Jesus way from everything else that's out there. And so we've been hearing Jesus tell us how that looks, how to live that grace-filled, gospel-centered life, how to walk his way, and now he sums it up. We know he sums it up because of this word, so. 
So in light of living the blessed light, in, in light of the salt and light experience, in light of understanding that I'm raising the standard, in light of the fact that you now know how to pray, in light of all these things I've taught you, so in everything, say everything, everything. do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. And in that one amazing statement, Jesus not only sums up his message, he says, really, if you want to know what it's all about, it comes back to this. We know it as the, what? Golden rule. Even people that never hang out in church know that. In fact, often people that never hang out in church will throw that in your face and say, this is the way you need to be acting toward other people. I learned it this way, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It was not unfamiliar to the Jewish people to whom Jesus would have been speaking. His crowd, his followers that had joined him on the hillstop. They would have known from the Torah, Leviticus 19, 18, love your neighbor as yourself. They would, in the future, come to him and say, what's the most important command? Jesus would respond instantly with the Shema. And he would say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he would quote, again, Leviticus 19, 18, he would say, and love your neighbor as yourself. They would have also known that one of the leading rabbis, the teacher of the law, Rabbi Hillel, would quote something similar to this when he was asked what was most important. And yet he would state it in the negative. He would say, what is hateful to you, do not do to your fellow creature. <laughs> now that kind of makes sense, doesn't it? And he would say, this sums up the Torah, the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So these people to whom Jesus was speaking, this was not new but it was different coming from Jesus in this moment. Because Jesus always raised the standard. He, he's saying it's not just don't be hateful. It, it's live in such a way that you treat others the way you want to be treated. And so that's a, a simple way just to dive into this passage and ask a question of each of us today. How would I want to be treated? How do you like to be spoken to? Or of? How do you like people to give things to you? How, how do you like the actions towards you to be? How would your everyday life be different if you always ask, how would I want to be treated? See, in other words, Jesus was saying that my way, the, the Jesus way, affects our everyday life. And that's important. As a guy that's hung out in this kind of place all my life in church, I've hung out with folks like you as my vocation for about 30 years. I realize a lot of people don't understand this is supposed to affect our everyday life. It's not something we just live out for a couple of hours on a Sunday when we gather together. No, it's something that we live out and express wherever we are, where we live, where we work, where we play. But this is different from the way of the world. The world says when you look at other people, they're going to get what they deserve. And sometimes in our lives, that's the way we treat people. They'll get what's coming to them. And yet that's not the Jesus way. That's the way of religion. Religion says you work your way to God. You get your way into God's presence. You get what you deserve. But the Jesus way is more than religion. It's a relationship that affects 
every aspect of our life. So notice what Jesus says. Instead of giving us what we deserved, Jesus took what we deserved. Because according to Scripture, what we deserve is judgment. What we deserve is death. That's the hope of the gospel. Jesus took our punishment. Jesus took what we deserve, and he gives us grace. He gives us mercy. He gives us another chance. And I believe that's really the secret of this golden rule. It's not just some cliche that we throw out in other people's faces when we don't feel like we're being treated right. No, I think Jesus was saying, hey, walk my way. Show grace. Give mercy. Assume the best. Forgive often. Try it my way. So just think for a minute. We'll, we'll wrap back around to this at the end. But how would your life be different if you lived by that? What would you say differently? How would you talk about people differently? What would you do differently? How would you respond to life circumstances differently? The way of Jesus affects our everyday life. But that's really not the punching, driving PowerPoint of, of this message. No, Jesus then went on to say that the Jesus way affects our forever life. And I hope you would expect that when we're gathered in a place like this. Because regardless of where you are on your faith journey, and we're all on that faith journey. In fact, everybody you know is on a faith journey. Everybody you know is living by some kind of faith whether or not they're expressing a religious faith, they're walking every day by faith. They're breathing oxygen that they can't see every moment by faith. Blaise Pascal, the philosopher, called it Pascal's wager. The fact that whoever you are, regardless of your life circumstance, you're going to be living by faith. So wherever you are in that faith journey, you've come into this place today, and I assume you would expect us to talk about that which is not just temporary. Because if that's all you thought you were going to get, man, I can tell you there are better uses of your time. We hold anything in the world at our fingertips with these devices we carry around. So you could tune up any TED Talk and find better communicators to me just to encourage you in some daily life motivation. That's not our only goal as we gather here. We want to take, talk about those things that last forever. And so it's in that context that these next words of Jesus become very challenging. Look at verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate. Now it's kind of funny to me. He's just said, hey, treat others the way you want to be treated. Enter through the narrow gate. In other words, that's not easy, is it? You see, if you go back beginning in chapter 5, and if you look at every part of this Sermon on the Mount, I think if you're like me, you're going to say, I can't do this. The Jesus way is impossible for me. And that's exactly where he wants you to get to. Because you can't do it. You have to depend on him. So, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. This is Jesus. He's gathered with his followers, people that wanted to be around him. So it could be like a church service. They volunteered to come. 
And he's saying, hey, just be aware, there's a narrow gate, there's a wide gate, the road that leads to destruction. Wow, a lot of people are going to take that road. But small is the gate, narrow the road that leads to life. And Jesus teaching says, but there's just a few of you that are going to follow that. Verse 15, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn brushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit you will recognize them. Now remember, he's just told us a few verses earlier, judge not. So now he balances that by saying, as you look out, there are going to be some things that are obvious to you. We're not going to spend a lot of time on that today, but go read Galatians 5. Because in Galatians 5, the Apostle Paul describes these two kinds of fruit. The fruit of the flesh, the fruit of the spirit. What it looks like when you're not walking the Jesus way, what it looks like when you're walking the Jesus way. But notice what Jesus says next, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. And these are the words that contradict everything we see in society. These are the things that make me cry out to parents and grandparents and great-grandparents, prioritize the truth of God in raising your children because the world is teaching us a lie. I mean, could Jesus really be that exclusive? Could Jesus say not everybody gets, gets here in the same way? Aren't we all just on different paths to the same place? Aren't we all just worshiping the same God and calling him a different name? The answer to those questions is no. But I can remember being encouraged to think that way in a, a college religion class. When the professor said, I, I want you to think of three blind guys that walk up to an elephant. And these three blind guys, none of them can see, but they all touch different parts of the elephants, and they all have different experience. So one touches the tail and says, oh, this is a nice rope. And the other reaches out and touches the side of the elephant, and they say, wow, this is a strong and sturdy wall. And then another touches the trunk of the elephant, and they think, Matt, wow, what a large snake. And what philosophers have used while telling this story for, for centuries is we all have different experiences. We all have different lenses. And that's how we see life. We're just, we're just seeing things the way we should see things. We're seeing our truth. Is that what it is? Are we all blinded in the same way? Are we just seeing from our limited experience? I would say to you, no, Christ follower. The hope of the gospel is that our eyes have been opened in Jesus Christ. 
We are not blind. We have the ability to see truth. And in addition to that, we can hear. We can hear Jesus say, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So are we all just on different paths going up the same mountains? That's another thing that you'll hear people say. No, we're not going to the same destination. Our central campus is in a community that's now 25% Muslim. In the Islam religion, the destination is ultimately paradise. And paradise is not the same thing that we describe as heaven. In Buddhism... The destination is nirvana. That is not the same as what we call eternal life. In Hinduism, the destination is just somehow let me break the cycle of reincarnation and get off this train. And that's not what we're talking about when we're talking about the kingdom of God. Christianity, the destination is eternal life. We're not even taking the same path. In Islam, if I just want to make it to paradise, all I've got to do is work right. There are five things I've got to do. It's called the five pillars of Islam. In Buddhism, same thing. It's what I do. It's called the noble eightfold path. In Hinduism, it doesn't really matter because there's about 350 million different gods and kind of I can kind of do my own thing my way and who knows what's going to happen. But in Christianity, what we believe is that it's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone, and that he's the only way. The truth is, in Christianity, we're not trying to make it up a mountain. We're celebrating the fact that Jesus came down the mountain to us. Every other world religion is about what you do. It's about trying to get to God or to be more like God. But Christianity is about God becoming incarnate, God condescending, God becoming one of us so that he could put on us his righteousness, not based on our merit, but based on what Jesus Christ does for us on the cross of Calvary. Christianity is not a man-made attempt for us to be like God. It's a God-orchestrated plan to come to us. And so Jesus is very clear. There are two paths. That's what this passage is all about. There are two ways. The Jesus way and everything else. One is easy, the other is hard. One is narrow, the other is wide. One leads to destruction, the other leads to life. It's not something you're born into. I occasionally talk to people about their faith, and I'll talk to them about a relationship with God, and they change the subject, and they begin to say something about, like, well, my uncle was a deacon at the Baptist church, or, or my grandpa was a Methodist pastor, or, or my mama went to Sunday school all the time. And I'm thinking, I didn't ask you about your family, I asked you about you. It's not something you... You're born into. It's not something that just happens to you by showing up. You don't walk the Jesus way by coming to church any more than you, when you drive through the drive through at McDonald's, you become a Big Mac. I mean, it just doesn't 
Well, no, actually, you go to McDonald's. I'm just saying. But it doesn't just happen to you, right? I want you to understand this. It's, it's not just something natural. Jesus is saying, this is a hard path. You're going to make a conscious decision of your will to walk in this way. And when you do that, you've done what few others do. And if that wasn't enough, Jesus reminds us that along the way, there are going to be false teachers, false prophets trying to get us on the wrong path. We could spend all our time just on this part of the passage. And I encourage you to go back and, and read that and to, to think through and be reminded that the root that you have in your life is going to produce fruit in your life. That's what Jesus is getting at here. But he's telling us that we've, we've got to be careful. There will be those that look like sheep that are false shepherds and they're really wolves in sheep's clothing. And, and they're not going to tell you it's hard because they want you to think it's easy. And they're not going to tell you that few are going to respond because they want to thank you that everybody's going to heaven. And they're not going to talk about the way that leads to destruction because that's not politically correct. Watch out for false teachers. But after that, Jesus gives us these frightening words that I now read to you for the third time. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many. That's such a tragic, simple word. Many. Many say to me on that day Lord Lord did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles then I will tell them plainly I never knew you this is not something you lost this is not something that you had a bad day and now it's gone. No, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. Jesus says there's a narrow and a wide gate. There are true and false teachers. And there are authentic and inauthentic Christians. You heard Steve mention this in his prayer. You could refer to it as cultural Christianity. Those who bear the name, but they don't seem to profess or possess the relationship that they profess. You could refer to it as the unsaved Christian. That, that person that goes through the motions, but they, they don't have what Jesus says and the reality is listen Jesus has to be talking to people like us that's what makes this so hard that's what makes this humbling and, and, and frightening 
That, that these were the people who had come around him of their own will, and yet he's saying, watch out. It's possible to do all of what you may feel like are the right things and not know Jesus. In fact, he says there are three traits. Listen to this. There are three traits that are shared both by authentic and inauthentic believers in Christ. Now think about that. Three different things that those who really follow Jesus and those who do not follow Jesus can both possess. Here they go. You ready? First is orthodoxy. You know what orthodoxy means? You can believe right. You can believe right and not know Jesus. Let me see if I can illustrate this. It's President's Day weekend. Um, raise your hand if you've heard of Abraham Lincoln. Let me see your hands. Even there in the back, you're participating. Congratulations. Um, all right, now it's time for you to feed back. Uh, is Abraham Lincoln still alive today? Oh, wow, okay. Um, how did Abraham Lincoln die? He's assassinated. What was uh, Abraham Lincoln's vocation at his time of death? President. President. Have any of you ever met Abraham Lincoln? No. No. But you're veritable scholars on Abraham Lincoln. Do you believe Abraham Lincoln really existed? Yeah, so apparently there's a difference between belief, intellectual assent or acknowledgement, and a relationship. And Jesus was saying, hey, there are many who say, we believe right. Later, the half-brother of Jesus, James, is going to say this. You believe? Good job. Golf clap. Good job. So do the demons. And in fact, when the demons hear the name of Jesus, their knees knock. They're scared to death because he knows that he's going to send them to hell. I mean, really, it's not belief. You can believe and not have a sincere relationship with Jesus. But there's a second thing. It's more than emotional engagement. You can believe right, but you can also feel right. Doesn't it feel good when you feel like you get those Holy Ghost bumps going down your arms and, man, we're singing and you're just swaying with the music and you life it like it. And some of you that have never done this, I mean, you can't quite lift your hand up, but you're kind of doing this, hoping nobody sees it, just lifting up one finger, praising the Lord. I mean, the emotions are beginning to flow. Occasionally, maybe even a tear forms in your eye. In the Arabic and the Aramaic and the Hebrew, when you would repeat a name twice, it spoke of the emotional content with which you were speaking. So, for example, remember when Jesus said, Martha, Martha. Or when David said, Absalom, Absalom. Or when Jesus said, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. You can be emotionally engaged and, and not be relationally connected to Jesus. And don't get me wrong. Some of you need a little injection in your emotions. <laughs> you know, if, if your faith never brings tears to your eyes, or, and if, if your times of worship never spark emotion in you, then probably something's a little dry, a little frozen, needs to thaw out. But Jesus is saying it's more than emotion. You can be emotionally engaged. You can feel right 
and not be a sincere follower of Christ. But then there's a third thing. He talks about involvement in service. That really hits home to us because we showed up at church today. But you can do stuff, you can do right, and still not have a relationship with Jesus. Man, we're good at focusing on what we do. I don't drink and I don't chew and I don't go with girls that do, right? Or what about this? I mean, I, I go to church. I put something in the offering. I, I pray at my meals. We, we do these things, Jesus. And he says, and he will say, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We perform miracles in your name. And I don't know about you, but that, that gets me. Because I've not cast out a demon. I, I don't know that I've seen God do miracles through me. I've seen him do miracles, but through me. And this tells me that you can be doing stuff for God and yet not know God. And the service, your involvement, all these boxes you're checking, they don't guarantee that you have a relationship with Jesus. All of these things, if you don't have these things, it, it does guarantee you're, you don't have a relationship with him. The absence of these would determine, yeah, I don't think you're a follower of Christ. But the presence of these does not guarantee that you are. So what is sincere faith? If you're awake out there, I can't imagine how you're not thinking that. Because that's what I'm thinking as I hear these words of Jesus. All right, that is mind-boggling, Jesus. What is sincere faith then? Well, there are two statements that Jesus says. First, only he who does the will of my Father. According to Jesus, sincere faith is marked by a surrender of your will. Do you understand that? The bigger word is, is volition. It's you willfully deciding, I'm no longer in control. And so we talk about that in a lot of different ways. Jesus used the example of being born again. He's saying just like you were born out of your mother's womb, you've got to be born of the Spirit of God. You have to have a new beginning. That's why we say you've got a spiritual birthday if you're a follower of Christ. Some people talk about walking across the faith line. In other words, I, I, I wasn't there, but I, I took this action where I repented of my sins and I took a step of faith and I followed Christ. I, I like the idea of raising the white flag. Because what does the white flag mean? Surrender. I'm, I'm surrendering my will. I'm acknowledging, okay, there is a God and I'm not he. I am not God. So I resign. I resign as my role of God of the universe. And I acknowledge he's now in charge of my life. However you describe it, Jesus is saying the only way you know you're a real follower of Christ is if there's been that time where you've surrendered control of your will to Jesus. That's why he taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your what? Your will be done. But then Jesus says something else that speaks to how we know. Because he says, I never knew you. 
It's kind of harsh. <laughs> and yet it's the Jesus way. The Jesus way is more than religion. It's a relationship that affects every aspect of our lives. And so why rules like the golden rule are important, on that day, it's not the rules you know, but the relationship that you have that will make a difference in where you spend forever. So how about you? You know, the end of that game could have worked out in a lot of different ways last Sunday. In, in fact, because they didn't understand the rules, it would have been possible for the 49ers to score and think that was all that needed to happen and run on the field and start celebrating. <laughs> and, and that would be kind of like the people that are standing before Jesus, like, hey, we've done all this in your name. And he's like, I don't know who you're talking about. But that's not the way the game ended. What happened is the Kansas City Chiefs, when they knew they, went, they won, man, they went nuts. And I, I just, I don't know, maybe I'm a hopeless romantic or what, but man, you look at a winner like that, and you, you can't help but be excited for a winner. I mean, Patrick Mahomes, he's the GOAT. I mean, how could you not like Patrick Mahomes just being happy and seeing his wife and little child come and... Then, man, even if you had been tired of it all year like I was, I mean, you see Taylor Swift run up and kiss her boyfriend, and you're like, oh, it's right with the universe. I mean, what in the world? And then confetti's coming down. Everybody's celebrating. And that's what true victory looks like. And that's, that's the picture that God wants you to have when you think about that day. That everything's been taken care of. That you surrendered to the will of the Father. And you've got a relationship with the Son. But I believe God sent me here today just to tell you that that doesn't happen automatically. So, two questions and then I'm going to pray for you. How is Jesus and His way affecting your everyday life? And here's the deal. A lot of us here profess to be followers of Christ. So I think we probably all need to make some adjustments. For all of us, it may not be everybody, but there's probably somebody for all of us that we're not treating the way we want to be treated. Maybe it's because of the color of their skin. Maybe it's because of something they did to us. Maybe it's just because we don't like them. But if we're out of line with the Jesus way, we need to make some adjustments. But here's the real question. Has the Jesus way impacted your eternal life? If you were standing before Jesus today, if this day was that day, would he know you? It occurs to me that there's more than a few of us that he wouldn't know. But here's the good news. 
you can respond to that right now. You can do that by being born again. By being born into the family of God. You can do that by stepping across the faith line. You can do that by raising the white flag and surrendering your will to Him once and for all. And that's what I want to ask you to do right now. Would you bow your head with me? Our heads are bowed. seeking the face of God if you're a Christ follower and you know it I want to ask you today make those adjustments what are those areas of your life where you need to treat somebody else the way you want to be treated And just make a commitment right now to the Lord that you're going to do that. But listen, I'm just telling you, if Jesus' words are true, there's a lot of people that that don't understand this. And, And that would mean there's probably some of you here that haven't understood this before today. And if your life ended today, you would not end it with a relationship with Jesus. You would not spend forever with him. And the only other alternative that the Bible gives is a place called hell. And God does not want that for you. That's the whole reason that Jesus came. The Bible says that you were separated from God from birth just because of this nature of sin in you. And if it's left undealt with, that sin will have to be punished. And what the Bible calls that punishment is eternal death. But God desires that none would perish. And he came so that you could have eternal life. So what's it going to be? You'll keep gambling? You want to get this right today, once and for all. You may be a teacher in the church. You may be a deacon. You may be a leader. Or you attend all the time. See, I'm not talking about your religious expression. Those things are okay. It doesn't matter if you've been Baptist or Catholic or Methodist or Episcopal or Assembly of God or Lutheran or Presbyterian. Fill in whatever blank. Not about what you've done. Could have walked through communion and confirmation and been baptized, dipped or dunked but you've never surrendered control of your will why not today would you just begin to cry out to God if you need to do that today right where you are, you don't have to have a pastor just say God I need you sometimes you need words to help you, maybe you'd say this maybe you'd say God I know I'm a sinner I need to be saved I need to be born again. I need to step across the faith line. I need to raise the white flag. I believe you died for me. I believe you're alive today. Thank you for forgiving me. Just tell him, thank you for forgiving me. From this day forward, 
This is the moment. From this day forward, I surrender. I'm ready to follow you. Not my will. But your will. Come into my heart. Tell him that. Come into my life. Take control. Now tell him thank you for saving me. Just say thank you for saving me. Guys, this is so important. This is life and death, so I'm going to do things a little differently than we normally do. I promise you, I'm not going to embarrass you. Heads are still bowed, eyes are still closed. But if you just prayed that prayer with me, here's what I want you to do. I want you to stand up right where you're, where you're sitting. Just stand up. You just prayed that prayer with me. You just surrendered. You raised the white flag. You do that right now. Yes, sir. Praise God. Others of you. Yes, ma'am. Praise the Lord. Others of you across the room. Right there. Praise God. That's awesome. Others of you standing up. Just stay standing. I want to give you just a moment more. Praise the Lord. I surrendered my will. That's right. Praise the Lord. Stay standing. That's right. Our pastors are beginning to stand here at the front. I want to pray for you. You just stay standing while I pray for you. Father, I pray in these next few moments that you give clarity and you give wisdom to the conversations that will be had. And Lord, that eternity will be different because we met here today. Lord, I pray that even right now, someone who is sitting, who's heard these words and they're contemplating spiritual things like never before, I pray you give them Holy Spirit conviction and courage to respond. And I thank you for this. Now, if you're standing, here's what I want you to do. You're not going to have to join anything. I'm not asking you to join anything today. But if you're standing, I want you just to step out and come take the hand of one of our pastors and tell them what you just did. Just across the room right now. That's right. Just step out from your seat. From there in the back, just step out and come take the hand of one of our pastors. Would you do that? Maybe you didn't stand, but you need to come tell somebody. You come do that right now. That's right. So, Father, I pray that as we worship you, as we praise you, that you would hear our cry, that you would hear our prayer. And, Lord, that you would respond in Jesus' name. Just stand. Let's worship the Lord together. Let's sing about the assurance we have in Him. As God leads you, our pastors are standing here. You step out. You come. Even now, you come. Blessed assurance.